0: Down the
1: right field line, pretty well hit,
0: way is the right way here today. Yogi Berra said it's 90% mental, the other half is physical. My name is Ryan LaVarnway, Major League Catcher and Minor League Grinder, and I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. In this show, I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. Hey guys, welcome to Finding the Way. This is Ryan LaVarnway and today I have a very special and unique guest, Joshua Shorts. He is the anchor for the local Fox station here in Denver and he's a good friend of mine. We hang out, we had breakfast the other day and he was telling me about how He grew up in the south side of Chicago, single mom, had none of the advantages that a lot of people just really take for granted in his life, and he had an amazing, hard-to-reach goal just like I did in athletics, and he is one of the very few that has been able to accomplish that goal, so I'm excited to talk to him today because I think he's the perfect guest for this where we can talk about mindset, overcoming adversity, and even though he just told me he has zero athletic bones in his body... (laughs) He still accomplished something that millions of people out there want to accomplish, and he did it on purpose. He overcame adversity to get there. Josh, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hey, Ryan, thank you for having me. I am honored. I am privileged. You said unique and special for me. I did not anticipate those words. So thank you for having me. I am so excited to help inspire folks. You inspire people every day in what you do. So to be a part of this and to lend a helping hand in some way to our community, it's just I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited, man.
0: Thank you. And and to add a unique perspective, which I think is is the biggest value you bring to this episode of this podcast. Talk me through growing up on the South Side of Chicago. Single mom, you had a twin brother, sister that's 14 years older than you and helped kind of raise you. What do people like me who grew up in Southern California to two parents, what are, what are the things that I don't even think about that you had to go through that you had to overcome that were not advantages? That I had or that a hundred thousand other people had, that you you came in the situation, what was different for you?
1: I, I don't want to misguide anyone who's listening, but I think that it's important for me to say that yes, grew up on the south side of Chicago. But even though I did that, even though that was part of me, part of my history, I wouldn't say I grew up poor or I wouldn't say I grew up in a in a slum. I was I mean, it was a beautiful area of Chicago on the southeast side of town. And lived in a bungalow, had my great grandmother and my grandmother in my life and my single mom, as well as my twin brother and older sister. So I was able to grow up having that as a foundation. A lot of people aren't able to have that uh, nowadays, which is weird because I think a lot of people grow up wanting that, seeking that, looking in other places that they shouldn't look for that love, that genuine care. And so I had that growing up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. But as you said, Ryan, I also grew up disadvantaged. And so I knew that I had the cards kind of stacked against me and, and my brother as well. You would see commercials. I remember my mom would always watch court shows along with my grandmother as well and there would be commercials and they would always talk about statistics that if you're watching this and you're growing up in a single family home, more than likely your child is not going to make it. Or if you are a young black boy watching this right now, you are going to end up more than likely end up in jail or dead before you're 25. All those things were said to this 10 year old and you kind of start to believe it. Like there's a part of you that you, you start to believe, man, is this going to happen to me too? Not is this going to happen because you know that there are people that you go to school with and that live on your block who live exactly what those commercials say to you. And so for me, it was about, I don't want to have that lived experience. Um, it's actually interesting because when people grow up on in these you know in these situations that I grew up in where you have everybody and everything just against you from the outset. you have no chance from the outset, it's like you're already down 20 points and the game hasn't even started. I knew, I just felt there was something in me. There was something in the way that I was raised that I was reared, that I was brought up that said, you too can do this, you just have to find a way. And that was how my family grew up. That's how we all were raised, is that we were raised on faith and the idea that you could do anything so long as you do things the right way and treat people around you kindly. When you do those things, everything else lines up. And for me, I was lucky enough to have that as a, as a beginning, as a starting point. And for me, the hallmark of my family, the matriarch was my great grandmother. And she made sure that she raised us right. My mom was always working. And so for her, it was playing that motherly role along with my grandmother, along with my sister, we had women raising us, which is why to this day, I can always admit that I'm wrong because I know I'll never be right in a situation because, <laughs> because of the way that I grew up. And so I am just lucky. I, I want to stress that, that even though I came from where I come from, I am lucky. I am blessed. I understand that this could look totally different for me. Now, the fact that I'm even talking to you, I have to think about, man, I don't, I don't think that 15 years ago I saw this for me.
0: So let's explore it a little more because you say your, your great-grandmother, your matriarch, wanted to raise you the right way. And, and it was a foundation of what it sounds like to me, hope. They gave you hope that you could change your stars or you could change your lot in life. What does it mean to you to do it the right way? Or what it, what it was that hope embodied in? What gave you the hope? Did you have a family mantra? Did you have things that you did to develop that hard work ethic where your mom was always working? She was always providing. What what did that mean for you in your head as a ten year old boy?
1: I think that we always knew that we found a way out of nowhere. There was a song, actually a gospel song, that had those words in it, and I remember my mom would listen to it, and she lived that way. She says that no matter what happens, we're going to find a way out of nowhere. And there was a point in our, I think, when the moment we moved. So we lived on the southeast side of Chicago, the south side, but. Uh, particularly the southeast side known as the South Shore community. And we all lived, uh, my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mom, my sister, myself, my uncles lived in this bungalow home. And there was a point where my great grandmother passed away. And she always, always, always made sure we did things the right way. We didn't know any other way. You know, we grew up and was raised, I say in the church loosely, because we didn't go to church every week, but we were, we were, The faith that we had in our family is how we were raised, that we were raised on the things that you can't see, but you still believe. That's how we grew up. And so when we were able to move from the bungalow home to Inglewood, that was somewhat of an adjustment for us. And it was only my brother and my mom and my sister at the time who moved to Inglewood. And that was the first time I remember thinking to myself, is this what my life is going to be? is my life going to be without my great grandmother now moving every year because my mom has to figure out how to put food on the table and the most affordable way to do so may have us moving around. Will we be nomadic? Will we be that? Will we be that? And I don't know. At one point I think I said to myself, this is going to be our lives because we ended up moving six months later after that to Marquette park. And when we were in Marquette park, I said, how long is this going to last? And so I always had the question of, Will I make it out? Will I make it past what is already what some would say is set for people who look like me and people my age? But my mom and my sister, because I always use my sister, she seemed, I mean, she was a second mom to us at this point. She was 14 years older. So she's like a second mom. She would always ensure that we did things the right way. And that if we do that, if we only did that, everything else would follow, everything else would make sense, even if in the moment it didn't that if you did things the right way, right will come to you. And that's something I remember my mom always saying. And that's something that I looked up to my sister and my grandmother and everyone else in our family because those who did the right thing the right way ended up having right or good come to them. My cousin was the first person in our family to graduate college. And I knew at a young age, I wanted to graduate college. At the age of 10, 11, 12, going into high school, I didn't know what I was gonna go to college for. I didn't know what that was gonna look like. I didn't know if my brother and I were gonna end up working together. He was gonna be an architect and I was gonna be an actor. That's how we thought about ourselves growing up because that's what people said we should be. And then we slowly carved our way into our own futures because we knew that we could do that. We got permission. We were told by our family members that it's okay to dream. Even though people who look like you may not dream or their dreams are nightmares, it's okay to dream. And that alone is what made us who we were. That alone is what made us who we are now. Obviously we would grow up and end up realizing, man, we are in situations that we never thought we'd be in. We moved to Inglewood and we were surrounded by insects and roaches and mice. Those are the things that we were never exposed to when, before my great grandmother died, we were in a beautiful home, bungalow. We lived the life. And then we moved and for the first time we faced adversity as children. And for the first time we had two bikes that we never rode outside because our mom was like, it's Inglewood. You can't do that here. So we had two bikes that we never used. Mountain bikes, I remember them. That's adversity right in your face. You don't have a choice but to see it. But we had a choice to make. Do we act upon what we see right in front of us or do we break through that ice? Do we break through that that glass ceiling in some way? And eventually we did.
0: You've you've talked about commercials telling you what your life was going to be like. And you've talked about society as a whole telling you what's supposed to happen to you as a, as a young black boy in Chicago. Do you think that those commercials, I mean, obviously those commercials were there with the intent of having the effect on you that it did. Of it's educational. I'm not going to end up like that. So I need to act differently than everyone else is. But society telling you, you can't reach for your dreams, you can't do the things you want to do because 75% of the time or whatever the percentage is, this is what's going to happen to you is what's happening to everybody else. How did you overcome society's expectations of you? Because that's something that's so hard to do. And it it sounds like you had a great support system in your family. And and I had the same idea growing up in Southern California. I wanted to be a, a pro baseball player from the time I was five years old. And I look back and I cannot remember anybody telling me that was a crazy dream until I was in college and it was just about a reality anyway. But if someone had discouraged me at an early age, I don't know what would be different in my life right now. So you had your family encouraging you, but everyone outside of your family was discouraging you. How did you overcome that?
1: I would I would say that, first off, this is a great question. I would say that, I just knew there was something in me that said, you are not destined for what is stacked against you. You are destined to do more. So there was a determination in me to do more. My mom, I think about her so often, and and she's obviously still alive, but I, I think about her so often because every day, she sacrificed so much for us. And she doesn't talk about the sacrifice. She just did it. And so when I saw that, that made me realize I would, I'm going to have to do the same thing because I know where I come from. I know that without a dad in my life, that didn't stop her from raising us. She didn't make excuses. So why the hell am I going to make an excuse? You know, like what is going to, what is, what am I going to experience? That I could possibly come up with an excuse to say, no, I can't. There is not one because I saw my mom do it by herself. She did it with three children. She did that. So for me, I looked at that and observed that. And I took that in and said, this is exactly what my life will consist of. The very traits that she possesses are in me as well. And so from there, going into high school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. But I knew that there was going to be adversity there. Just like growing up for me in microcosm, it was my life. High school was my life. I didn't play sports as you so eloquently pointed out at the top of the podcast, Ryan, (laughs) I I did play sports, but at the same time I was around it because my brother played. And so I found a way to be close to him because of what he did. But I also knew I had to do something. I, I, I couldn't be around him and be under him my entire life, unless that was my destiny, which at the time was unclear. And I would always think about what my mom would always say, you are going to be great at whatever it is that you do, but figure it out. And when you figure it out, you'll know. Because for me, I knew I had a passion for a lot of things, but what made me happy was watching my brother and being on the sidelines and talking out loud as he was playing basketball. And I remember saying to myself, what if I decided to do something in sports? And my brother said to me, you should, you're good at it. You're always around it you're a sports fanatic, you should do something in that. And so that's where it started for me. And when my brother said to me, you should do that, that said a lot to me because he and I went through the same thing, the same adversity of people saying you shouldn't or can't or won't do anything. And yet he said, you should do it. And that's where the interest was piqued into broadcasting for me. Eventually I got into news, but that's where it started. But again, when you're, at school at 5 a.m. and you have to take three buses in order to get to school on time because you lived in the suburbs and you didn't take the CTA because the CTA didn't run that early. So you had to hop on the pace bus. All those things were a part of the growing pains that made us who we are. Those are the sacrifices that I said, well, I gotta get up at 5 a.m. with my brother because he's gotta go to practice. And my mom always wanted us together. So that means I've gotta get up with him and then do homework at 6 a.m. in the hallways of the school because that's what I had to do while he was practicing. That was a sacrifice, and I never thought twice about it because that's how we were reared. That's how my mom said, you've got to go about life making sacrifices, and I had to make a sacrifice for my brother who played sports, but I never complained, never once complained because I knew there was an end goal to all this for both he and for me.
0: What, What sport did your brother play?
1: He played basketball. He played two sports. He played football and basketball. But he always, um, when we had freshman sophomore year, he had to get to school early for practice. And so we had to get up at 4 30 so we can catch the 5 15 pace. And those pace buses ran every 30 minutes. So if you missed the pace bus, you were late for practice, which happened a couple of times. But that's part of the adversity. And people understood that. His coaches understood that. And my brother, who not only played basketball, but played football too. It was the opposite. He had to stay at school later for football practice. So I was in school more hours those four years than I was at home. I remember getting home at 9 p.m., going to sleep and waking up and doing it again. There was a point for two and a half years I took an AP course that we were doing homework at school or in the car, and we didn't have a choice. We, We had those sacrifices to make. I'll tell you this one story, Ryan, now that I think about it. I think it really it really hit us hard. We had um, Sergeant Dan Lawson, he's a JROTC instructor at our high school. He was like a father to us. We never really had that father figure. It is easy for my mom to do what she did as a single mom. She made it look easy at least, but for him to come into our lives at the time that he did, which is around our sophomore year, is when we really began to see what it meant to be a man. And that included making sacrifices that included doing things that at the time you may not understand it, but it was for the betterment of the people around you. So we learned what it meant to be selfless and humble and respectful because we were at an age where we didn't necessarily agree with what our mom who was very hard at the time on us, very overprotective. We didn't agree with everything, but we had no choice but to because that's the respect that we had for her. That's what she expected out of us. So one night we were at the school one of these late nights because of my brother's practice or what have you. And my teacher who is like a father to us dropped us off at our apartment in Marquette Park. And we never stayed at school this late. This is the latest we ever stayed at school. We didn't leave until after nine o'clock. And we got to our apartment door and it was ajar and we didn't know why. And we knew our mom didn't get off until midnight. And so we're like, what's going on? We opened the door and we saw that our apartment was ransacked and i remember in that moment saying to myself out loud why god why us and my brother said don't ever question god he said that to me and my brother wasn't again we weren't we didn't wear faith on our sleeves at that age so when he said that to me i remember stopping and saying you're right and my mom, we called her, she got home, she lives. Uh, she worked six minutes away. She got home and she says, they could take everything else they want. She says, get some garbage bags. And we threw everything in a garbage bag. And my mom put us up at the Motel 6 on Western. And we stayed there on Cicero. And we stayed there for two and a half weeks until my mom found us a new apartment to live in. My mom made that sacrifice. She never thought about it. That's to this day, what I do. I sometimes don't think I do knowing that if it's a sacrifice, it's worth it. She did that. That's how I live my life, man. That's how I live my life to this day. And that's how I got to this place that I am today.
0: Wow. That's incredible. So you, cause, because she didn't want you living in a place that you didn't feel safe.
1: Yeah, she knew, she said, I don't, I want you all to be comfortable. My mom, mm. I can't name one friend that she has. She doesn't have them. When she gave birth to my brother and I, it was different because my sister, again, 14 years difference. My brother and I, that, her life stopped for us. Her life stopped for us. It was no longer about her. It was about us making sure that all of her children were good and comfortable and safe. That's why we left six months after moving to Inglewood because after we saw that seventh mouse, she was like, you guys aren't comfortable, are you? And we're like, nope she says, let's go. And we left didn't think twice, we were out of there within a week. Because once she thought about doing something, she did it. She never thought twice. And that's instilled within me to this moment, Ryan, that is how I live, because that's how she showed us and taught us to live.
0: That's, that's so crazy. I can't even I can't even wrap my mind around needing to move so often because of mice or because of burglaries or because of everything. It's, it's just pretty incredible your story. So again, thank you so much for sharing with us. So you were with your brother, you're supporting him through his sports journey. And he, he says to you, maybe you should pursue sports journalism and you end up at Columbia college of Chicago with a major in broadcast journalism. What was your goal And how did you choose that school? And and what did you hope would come out of that?
1: My brother, he knew that he was going to do something down the road of sports. For me, it began junior year. I would watch basketball games. And I would watch basketball games with my friends, my brother, my family. And I would hear myself talking through the action of the game. So I thought of myself as being this play by play commentator. I said, man, I might go to school for this. And so then I had to realize I had to be real. I had to be honest with myself that, yeah, I'm smart, but physics sucks. So that really dropped my GPA in junior year. So that really didn't help me to get into the colleges that I wanted to get into, like the Mizzou's or whatever. But not only that, financially, it was impossible. My mom, there was no question. We never even talked about it. There was no way she could provide for us financially through college. So that never came up. So it was scholarships, grants, and thank you, Lord. People always say, like, would you graduate? Was it, you know, Sunku Law laude or whatever? I say it was thank you, Day because I don't know how we <laughs> ended up where we did. Because sometimes, it again, it takes sacrifices. And so I thought about it to myself, where do I want to go at this point that makes sense? but that is also realistic and attainable, right? And it was staying home. Wherever I was gonna go, I couldn't stay on campus. So that's one. So that narrowed everything down in Chicago. Well, I didn't wanna go to Chicago State University. I didn't wanna go to, I couldn't go to University of Chicago because I didn't have the money. So now I'm looking at, okay, what do I wanna do? Now I have to narrow down what I want to do. And at the time it was sports, sports journalism. And Kevin Harlan at the time was a great inspiration to me. And so I saw that he took broadcast journalism, so I wanted to take broadcast journalism. So that's where it started, a Google search of schools that were good at it in the Midwest. And Columbia was the second choice. Now, Columbia, people looked at Columbia as an art school, as a dance school, as a fashion school, as even as a music school in some regard, but nobody really looked at it as a journalism school. And it was the best decision I made. I ended up going to Columbia College and had some of the best professors and teachers who were still working in the business. So unlike other schools that you'd go to where they were retired, or this was decades ago, they were working at the state. Some of them would be teaching and then say, all right, well, got to go because I got to go to work because of breaking news. So we're going to cut class short. That's how it was. And so it was being in the field, being in Chicago, downtown, and being able to tell stories during these classes that we had to tell within at the time it took us a week to put a package together and now it takes us eight hours it's very strange how that worked but they gave us a week to tell these stories and for me it went from sports to news hard news as they call it really quickly because I realized I love to tell stories about people not just one genre and that's where the transition for me happened I branched down into news and Doing news to this day, which is something I never thought I'd be doing, sitting at a desk, anchoring and reading the teleprompter. Even though when I was a young age, Ryan, I would always watch news. I would always watch the news to the point where my mom told me to stop because I was having nightmares and she thought it was coming from watching the news all the time. So it's a full circle moment that I never saw coming.
0: That's crazy. And and you're very good at it. You know, you've won two you. Emmys now. You're you're my favorite local newscaster, which I'm, <laughs> I'm not just saying because you're a buddy of mine. But you're, you're extremely talented, and the thing that kind of makes me really think about your life and the steps that you took to get there is that you didn't go from college student to news anchor in a top 15, top 20 market. Mm-hmm. You took the individual steps along the way that I think sometimes people overlook or that they don't want to take the milestone steps. They don't want to take step one and step two and step three. They want to jump to step 15. When you got out of college, you did multiple internships. You were a tour guide on the top shelf of a double-decker bus in downtown Chicago. How did those steps help you towards your ultimate goal, towards your, your two Emmys, towards your anchor status? Talk to me about the little steps along the way.
1: So Ryan, you bring up a great point and you do your research too. So I, I'll i start with the double-decker thing and I kind of work backwards. So, I remember at the time, it was my first summer in college. So it was my first summer. So I would say this was after my first year. So this would have been 2014, the summer of 2014. I wanted to get a job. And I wanted to get a job because I was broke and (laughs) I did not want to be living as a sophomore in college. And, you know, I, I just didn't, it just didn't feel right to me. And so I made the decision to look for jobs. And I began to do internships and little things. Like I worked as a play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Steam, which was an ABA team at the time in Chicago. And they would pay me sometimes. And then there would be times to say, well, you didn't sell us any tickets. You didn't help fill seats. So we can't pay you. And I remember saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do a job and then not know if I'm gonna get paid for it. I can't do that. And an announced friend, an announcement friend who used to do the games as well said to me, you're better than this. You need to figure out what other hustles you can do. So then I started going to local high school basketball games and calling the games for them. And so the IHSA at the time in Illinois, I would get a check from them sometimes, but it'll only be $50. So it was just getting me by, but I was always looking for a job. I was always hustling. and so. That summer, I said, I got to do something where I know I can clock in and clock out, right? Where I knew I wouldn't have to question how much I was going to get paid. And there was an opportunity that came up to be a ticket agent for this at the time renowned double decker company. Gray Line is what they were called, Gray Line Bus Tours. And downtown Chicago on Michigan Avenue, they'd have us at 13 different spots, depending on where you were, whether it was the Water Tower, the John Hancock Tower or if it was at, um, on Michigan Avenue, if it was at the shed aquarium art Institute, you'd be based in one of these places and your job was to stop people, tourists, and to get them to want to take a double decker bus tour. That was two hours long. Mind you, the buses were shitty, (laughs) the, the trolleys that we use trash. But it was my job (laughs) to persuade people to buy a ticket to convince them. This was a tour for you. And so that's where I began to become more of a people person. I was shy growing up. So I began to talk to random people from all parts of the world. I began like learning how to say hello in different languages. just because, and so for me, it was always a work ethic of, okay. I'm going to get this, even though it's going to be merely impossible to get this. You know, I got to leave here with something. That was my motto in my mind. And so that's how I treated that entire summer. One day during those ticket agents, and we were out there in the rain, snow, whatever it was, later that summer, I'm out there and it's cold, it's blustery. And two tour guides took the day off. Well, in the touring industry, Next man up. And they asked me to do a tour. And I said, quote, I don't know anything about downtown <laughs> Chicago. I grew up on the South side of the city. I've never been downtown, but three times in my life outside of going with friends, but I only went to one part of downtown. I don't know the city. They were like, well, just try it. It's only one bus tour. You do one tour around and that's it. Just two hours, do your thing. You're, you're personable, you're amicable, do it. Long story short, did a tour. And for the first time in a year, TripAdvisor had two new reviews about Greyline Bus Tours for the first time of the year. And both of them were about me and the fact that they said we had the best time on those buses and that this guy, this young kid, they think my name was Justin at the time. It was Josh, thank you to the people with that review. But they said um, he made it so memorable And they said, you're not gonna be a ticket agent anymore. Welcome to being a tour guide, here's a script. I practiced the script and I realized really quickly, I didn't like reading the script, but I learned about the city and I made it my own. And that's when it became easier for me to do this thing on a microphone, even talking to you because I had practiced for four years on a double decker, both in the summer and in the cold winter. So that during college, along with several internships in newsrooms, sports newsrooms, and journalism related stuff as well, I was able to practice this craft that I became so passionate about that really started senior year in high school when I went to Doha, Qatar. And I remember wanting to tell the story about people there and people here in the States were like, be careful, you're going overseas in the Middle East, wear a vest because you may not come back. They made all these jokes. And when I came back, I said, they were the nicest people. In fact, there was a guy, a kid my age because we took Arabic in high school, it was Arabic and Chinese, and so that was the impetus for the trip there. A kid who went to the school there, who we were working with in this cultural exchange trip for two weeks asked me, you're from Chicago, do you know Kanye West? I'll never forget that question because I didn't know one thing about Doha, but he knew about Kanye West. So I came back wanting to tell stories about them and get rid of the misconceptions and preconceived notions about them. And from there on through college is where the storytelling passion began. That's where it started. And I knew I was going to end up at a news station. So those small steps along the way after graduation, a week off, and then right into my first TV news job ever at South Bend, Indiana. I knew it was a sacrifice. I knew that I couldn't have any weeks off because one week off could mean one job at that time. So all of that, all the stars aligned. And it just worked out, lucky for me.
0: Lucky for you, but luck favors the prepared. So good <laughs> job doing that. all of all of the right steps. Good job working on all of the things just so that you could get lucky. I think you can take a little bit more credit than that. So I, It's
1: funny. It's funny you say that because like I was raised to always be humble. I was raised to be this person that expresses humility, believing in something that's bigger than yourself, right? And so that's how I was raised. But there are times where I look back and I'm like, damn, I did the thing, <laughs> you know?
0: So, so as you're in the news station, you're, you're coming into people's homes every night, sharing them the news of the world, giving them your perspective. I, I know you, you told me that you're just supposed to report the facts, but inevitably your opinion will come through in a tone of voice or in the way you shape the story. How do you view that responsibility and what pushbacks have you gotten on some of the stories that you choose or how do you choose your stories when you're when you're bringing the news to the people every single day?
1: I will get to that last part last because that is a great story and actually one of the reasons responsible for my first Emmy. But I want to go back a little bit and talk about some of the best advice I got from just interning with different people. Brad Edwards, he is a awesome journalist and I don't know another word than awesome at the moment because if he listens to this he's going to be really disappointed I couldn't think of a better word because that man is a wordsmith if there ever was one in the TV business is Brad Edwards and so Brad Edwards um, who works at CBS in Chicago where I interned at one point I never got to work with him closely but afterwards we got a little bit closer and he would always give me some advice here and there on my stories and my writing as well because writing is important in this business and I don't think people at home realize the importance of writing a story. Um, He said to me, leave. I'm going to put it in a cleaner way for our listeners. Leave the BS at the door. You need to show who you truly are. I want to see Southside Chicago, Josh, I want to see you. I want you to he actually told me to go by Josh shortened TV business. But I was like, I'd rather go by my actual name. But beyond that, He nailed everything because that's when I saw a shift in everything. I was who I was and I am who I am. So show people at home that person, because why are you trying to be a journalist? You are a journalist. So just be who you are. And genuinely at my core, I am who I am. And so people relate to that and gravitate to that every single time. And so to this day, I listen to that. I hear that. And that has helped me grow the, viral i don't like to all the time talk about live shot that happened with the black friday and everything and if you've not seen that if you're listening you should youtube black friday black reporter it's almost anonymous at this point but that was the first time i was able to show my stuff but i did not in a way because certain stories you have to do certain things i wouldn't do what i did in that video at a crime scene but for the first time i showed who i was And that was when things turned in my first market for me in South Bend, because people saw who I really was now, whether or not people liked it is another thing, but for the most part, people respected and gravitated toward that because it was genuine and it was authentic. It was who I am. And so that was the first time I saw the benefits of what Brad told me, be who you are. And so to this day, Everything in my storytelling to the writing to the story ideas that I pitch is because of where I come from, who I am at my core, how I was raised, the neighborhoods I lived in and the lived experiences that I have. That is shown every single day in what I do because I know personally, that's what people want. That's all people ask of us as journalists is to be who you are. Give me the facts, but also don't BS me either. That's what viewers want. That's what listeners want. And so to your last question, the adversity that I've gotten, I've pitched stories all the time that, you know, because of the news of the day, you're not able to do them. But there are stories that are meaningful to me that I want to tell. And one story that actually won me my first Emmy had to do with this idea that I had about shootings. And again, growing up, Ryan, I didn't get to this. There was a scene that I'll never forget as a kid. I can't tell you how old I was, maybe, maybe eight eight to 10 years old. Um, I was in the back room of our home at the time and my brother and I heard pow, pow, and I distinctly remember ducking because I'd see that in movies. And so it was an instinct that I had, but I just did it. It was, I don't know why it was never taught to me because we were never, we were always told about safety and being careful. But for me, it just I just did it, can't tell you why I did it, but I did it. And I turned out all the lights and my brother was like, what are you doing? And I was like, did you hear that? He's like, those are fireworks. I was like, I don't think those are fireworks. He thought they were fireworks. So I slowly turned on the lights and I told my sister upstairs that we heard something and she was like, you're fine. And about 10 minutes later, I saw this thing on the ground. It got my attention. I looked in the window and I peeked through the blinds and it was an officer with a flashlight. So I said, I knew something was going on. 10 seconds later, I'm seeing what I saw in movies, crime scene tape. My neighbor got shot and killed. And it was my sister's friend, they grew up together. That was the first time I was ever exposed to something like that. It gives me chills talking about it because I've never talked about it like this before. I've always, it's just existed in my mind, right? And so that moment for me is a, it's a seminal moment because it was a part of my upbringing that next door, there was a shooting and someone was killed and it was gang related. And then days later, I remember seeing shirts that were painted in this blue glittery fabric with RIP on it. And I didn't know what RIP meant. So these are the things that I grew up on. Right. And so I wasn't sheltered at all our mom tried our best to shelter us, but we were exposed to the winds and the famine of reality. And fast forward several years later in my newsroom where I wanted to do a story on shootings in South Bend, Indiana. I remember saying, look, we talk every day to the victims. We talk to victim advocates. We talk to police. We talk to family members. I want to do something different. I want to talk to shooters. I want to talk to people who've done it. I want to talk to people who pulled the trigger. And there are some in my newsroom who were in positions that said yes or no to the story who were like, well, we haven't done this in a while. We've not done a jailhouse interview in 20 years or good luck or yeah, well, let's work on that. But here's what we want you to do. But I knew what I wanted to do and I knew I could do it. And now you've got that part of me tapping in where my mom would always say, there's always a way, find a way out of no way. And I said, I'm gonna find a way. And eventually I got everything that I needed to tell a story using three people who've been to jail, one who was still in jail when I did the interview via Zoom. And that got me an Emmy. I don't say the story for the Emmy, I say the story for the fact that I was able to do something that I had my mind set on that no one else understood that once the story was told, perspectives changed. And it just so happened to win me a trophy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and, and it was you being your authentic self Doing what you believed in Which I think is so important for people In their own lives to take Like, What do you believe in, who are you And that's the message you've been sharing for the last few minutes Which I'm so grateful for you sharing that Before I let you go I always ask everyone at the end of the episode If there is a kid Right now That wants to do some of the things that you've done Or if, or if you could talk to Young Joshua and he has big dreams. What's the best advice that you could tell him?
1: Keep dreaming because dreams are many times reality. And it's, it's so, man, that's a great question because it makes, it chokes me up a little bit because I never thought I'd be here and I'm still in the position where the world is your oyster as they say, right? But. It is so true. There is so much that you can do right now that you think you're not going to be good at, there are things that you may not have even thought about that you could do that you are good at dream, dream about all of it, dream about all of it. Don't stop because people or things around you say that you can't just because there's a roadblock does not mean there is not a detour. Keep driving. You're going to get to that destination, whatever it is. Or sometimes, you know how you end up driving, you're on that family road trip, and you end up going to one place or wanting to go to one place, and then all of a sudden, another place pops up. You're like, I got to check that out. That may end up being the ticket for you. Never stop dreaming. Never stop driving. Keep going. Don't look at a roadblock or hazard lights as a reason to stop. Slow down. Look at what's around you, make sure that you don't hit any potholes, and if you do, it's okay. But keep driving, because there are gonna be destinations that you stop and pause at. That's not, destinations are not always the end goal. You may stop and take a pause and a rest and say, this is awesome and take it in. And that may be for a year, that may be for a month, that may be for a day. Take it in, learn from it, and then keep driving. That's my advice I would give to my young self, because there was a point as a young kid where I just did not know or believe what I would end up doing. And once it happens, it hits you hard. Keep driving.
0: Amen, dude, amen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Your story is so inspiring to me and hopefully someone out there will be the next two-time Emmy-winning news anchor.
1: Do better than me. Don't just go for two. Whoever's Three! <laughs> get the joy get six come on get six you could do that be better than me and thank you ryan for doing these podcasts it's so important that people see that there are ways what do you say finding a way finding there a way There are always ways
0: all right thank you guys for listening this has been finding the way i'm ryan Lavarnoy with joshua short and i'll see you next time Thanks for listening to Finding the Way with Ryan LeVarnway. Find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.